This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm at Otago Polytechnic in North Dunedin today, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kura Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you today? I am very well indeed. We should fess up that we are recording this on, on Thursday, and it is a glorious day here. You've got rain coming. Oh, not again. It's so pretty out there at the moment. Hey, but do you know, good news is that Jack and I are out of COVID jail today. Hooray! So that's really nice. So it's a beautiful, sunshiny day for a bike ride. Fantastic. You managed to avoid being positive? Well, yes. I keep thinking I've got it. I've got um, all the signs and symptoms, but keep returning a negative test. So something's going on. Well, long may that last. And who are we introducing today? It is my absolute privilege to introduce a relation of mine, actually, David Allison. David is a retired school teacher, a retired soldier, and works harder now in his retirement than he did when he was actually supposed to be working. So, David, it is such a joy to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Kia ora. Kia ora, David. Oh, tēnā koutou. Tēnā koutou katoa. I'm very privileged to be here today, and I want to thank you for the fine work you're doing uh, with everything. Thank you. Thank you for that. Where are you, David? Uh, actually, I'm in Dunedin. I've, I moved back to Dunedin from uh, the Kapiti Coast in Paraparaumu when my health improved four years ago. Uh, uh, four years ago, I had to go to, up to the north near my family because I wasn't very well. But anyway, over the four years and lots of Afi and Akitanga and Oingatanga, I'm back to almost normal and I'm living in Dunedin. So we've been asking people how their bubble life was. And of course, bubble life now is, is turning into history. But how was your bubble life? Terrible. Although I was, I was pretty used because um, I'm a disabled war veteran and I, over the last 30 odd years, I haven't been well at all. I had to give up. Uh, a job I started when I retired from teaching to Puna Corkery, and uh, I got too ill to work there. But the bubble really slowed everything down, although I was probably very lucky. And I had my own home provided by my daughter in Paraparaumu, and I, I had a very lovely group of caregivers who turned up every day to keep me going. And similarly down here in Dunedin, I have caregivers, but things ain't what they should be because of shortage of caregivers and everything. So the bubble thing really was a good exercise for an awful lot of people, I think, and they might have started thinking more about themselves than other people did. So in one respect, the bubble and this whole COVID thing has probably made us think internally a lot more. 
You lived through another lockdown, the, the polio outbreak in the late 40s. Do you think that we learnt from, from that experience and did it better this time, or was, was it about the same? Uh, well, nowadays there's a lot more people. And I lived in Karatani during that time. I think I was about seven or something. No, I wasn't. I was about seven or eight, I think it was. And once we went up, to, my cousin and I went up to Patiaro to stay with an uncle and auntie there. And then the tra- the travelling thing stopped and everywhere bubbled. So we were up there for, it seems like we were up there for years, but I think we were up there for over a month. And, of course, we lived, we stayed with my Uncle Jack and up in um, in Patiaroa, of all places. And it was one sole house and for about 10 or 15 miles. We couldn't even go into Ranfurley or up to Nobisby or anything. So we had to go to our own devices. And what Uncle Jack taught us was how to snare and trap hares. And then so we'd do that. And then he had the water race running through, uh, through his farm. And uh, he took so and have a look on those eels. I guarantee they're about four or five feet long, big snappers. And so we used to use the, the carcass of the hare, put them onto groper hooks, and we spent the whole time we were there catching, catching drying eels, the Sismatagas. So it wasn't too bad. And then they had a break one week here. And we, oh, we shot back to Karatani. Really good because everything there that a, a boy can dream of in the coast, Kaimoana, there's rabbits, mushrooms, everything you can think of. And we spent the rest of the polio epidemic there. <laughs> but, but in fact, the head teacher dropped uh, us off school assignments um, into our mailbox every now and again. And, and one of them was an English vocabulary one. And, and, and the question was, what is a feeler? What is a vixen? And of course, uh, I wrote back on my life, it was an unsavory woman, but I think they meant a fox, female fox. But anyway, uh, it, we learned the lesson then. I think a lot of older people really learned the lesson from the polio epidemic. They're all about my age. And uh, they probably fought back the way I did of, of, of those days. And we just, you can't worry. Once you start worrying, then things get worse. So. What you do, you just have to make use of a bad job. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have the Maori Battalion. But we'll have the Dennis Marsh version. Why this one? The military runs through my family, through my grandfather. My grandfather was an Otago Hazar. Through my father, who was in the Maori Battalion, D Company, Maori Battalion, he got captured in Greece and spent the rest of the war in a German prison war camp. And... uh, and then I took an interest in military things at Teatro College Cadet Corps. And when the time came, I volunteered to go to Malaya in 1959. And uh, when I came back out from the regular force, I rejoined the 1st Otago Southern Regiment, which changed to 4 RNZIR. And then I was commissioned May 1968. And at the end of that year, because of my civil occupation, uh, I decided to go to Canada to learn more about special education. So I did. Uh, but the New Zealand Army uh, attached me to the Canadian forces in Calgary. So I was a training officer then for two years until I got a job as a principal up in the Yukon Territory. Uh, well, I only meant to go up there for a year, but I stayed up there for 20 years. And I came home back to New Zealand in 1987. And then I had to relearn 
as much Tyrol as I could. I did it to see Italy, but then when I came, this was back in 19, oh my goodness, 1953, 50 to 53. Uh, so that's, that's, that's where we are at the moment. In days gone by, when the Māori went to war, they fought and fought until the last man died for the honour of their tribe. And so we carry on this proud tradition you will always hear. in Canada, um, what do you see as the similarities between life there and life here? Are there similarities? I was astonished. I only met, uh, I'd only planned before I went up there, but just right up by the Arctic Circle in Alaska, as people know. Uh, I only went there for a year, I thought, because the education system had only started in uh, four years sooner, public school system. They did have uh, Indian... Uh, schools run by the church, but we all, I suppose you've read about the terrible things that happened to the kids that they brought down from the north. And so, and But the only school, in fact, was in Whitehorse, was the first one, and they set up the schools there publicly in, 50, in 66, 65. But then, in the meantime, there were billions of all the Indian villages around, around the U.S. And 
I was headhunted to go along with three other Kiwi Kiwis and four Aussies to run those. Mm-hmm. So actually, the school, the school between the road between or the highway between Whitehall and Dawson City is called the Klondike Highway because, but because most of the schools were centred on the highway, and most of the uh, all all the principals were either Aussies or Kiwis, we re, we called it uh, the Anzac Highway. But the people there, the natives, they're exactly the same as us. They, they follow Whanaungatanga, Manaakitanga, Afi. They're just lovely, sweet people. But you see, when we established the schools, that's why they wanted Aussies in New Zealand, because we were community teachers or community principals, whereas in Canada, they're sort of slickers, and they wanted a community-minded people to get things cracking. The first thing we had to do, of course, was to allay the things that their kids would happen, what happened with the, with, with, the, with the people under the church schools they had. That was the biggest one. The second one was, was speaking English. Now, the only English they had was um, people that people's families whose father had worked in, in the gold rush at Klondike, and one or two of them stayed up and married into the Indian family. They spoke reasonable, but that's not. But they didn't speak their own language either. It was just, so. It was a sort of a pidgin English. For example, the, the first sports day I had, they were coming. They were saying, "Me same fast him." You know that kind. Of, that was the language we had to. We had to bring them out of into the real into into the into English, and uh, they were quick learners, just like our people, and. Uh, they were treated the same as our people too, unfortunately, by the Canadian government and, and everything. It's probably worse than us in some respect. But they were just starting land claims when I left in 87. And now I hear from almost ex-students that are all still up there. But some of them are ministers, uh, church ministers. Some of them are teachers. Some of them are lawyers. And a lot of them are members of parliament in the in the Yukon Territorial Government. And we all write back and forth, and, and whenever birthdays and anything new happening, and, and it's a lovely experience. So to us, Yuchin, they're tangata whenua just like we are. That's so good. Do you think that um, when you've come back to New Zealand, because this is, I have, a, I have a lot of time thinking about the town and country divide, um, particularly in education. Do you think that the people who are in the cities making the decisions for education today are any better aware now than they were back then? No, I don't think they have changed. But uh, I'll tell you what, I'm on a committee called the um, Regional Leadership Group, which is looking into this whole whole problem throughout the country. And I'm on the Otago Group. And the idea, the the whole idea of it is to look at what is being taught, uh, what is needed in the future, the reassign, reassignment of courses in the new politics system, and that's the sort of things I'm going I'm going on. But uh, I think that the countries are still being still not being treated fairly. I don't think. Uh, there's a letter in today's paper, for example, in we school. Uh, we schools down the Otago Peninsula, they're shutting down uh, because it's just too expensive for their parents to to live there, to pay the high rents or, or whatever, things like that. But uh, I'm sure at the end, by the end of this year, we should have some good um, we should have some good input into how how our people should be treated. Our Maori kids actually, when I went to school in Karatani, uh, 
no one, no one, we were just kind of only kids, there was nothing Maori, nothing Pākehā, that, that all happened, that all happened later. And, and um, when I got home, I, I actually ended up working for Kaitakareta for uh, Tapuni Kōkri for Otago, and, uh, and my job was going around the schools making sure their charter was written out and that they were following it. Yeah, I have an idea that Sapuni Kōkri changed its, uh, changed its operations to business, Maori business. I don't think there's anyone actually monitoring what they're doing. So that's another thing I'm trying to look at. And that's a very important thing to look at. We've got, um, you know, that some real disparities uh, in our education system. The statistics for Māori are still not looking that great. And, um, and we still haven't addressed those uh, that original issue of a system that was never designed for our kids in the way that we are and the way that we see the world. And I wonder how we go about fixing that. Well, I think, I think um, Swapi Rananata had part of the answer when he said, you must learn the English language so that you can get a job. And eventually you will be able to compete and get even better than the Pākehā in work. But, uh, and that's why my family anyway, my father's family, they didn't speak Maori. My grandfather wouldn't let them because he was into Sarapirana. And all around, all around uh, my grandfather, he was quite prolific too. Uh, and, and there was uh, no Maori lands, but I was so thankful I came home in 87 to see the beginnings of, of a light with the Kohanga Royal. And now if I'm, I, I go to the university, I go to schools, high schools and everything now, just to see you put one as a looker after. Uh, there are big changes being made. And some of the biggest changes are being made at the university level now where the teaching teachers. And when I when I went to uh, when I went to university back in nineteen fifty five, fifty four, uh, there was nothing now you'd think you're in England at the university and the teachers college. <laughs> but but anyway, what happened was uh, one of the things we had to do was was uh, play the recorder before you got a teacher license. Uh, and I had a time with it. But I was, I was already in a dance band at the Needham Town Hall with three Maori, Maori people from up north. Come to, uh, so, so anyway, we'd have, we'd have these lessons and being have reports on us playing this damn corner. And uh, I played it by ear perfectly. And Mr. Wilkinson, who was, he was the music lecturer, he says, oh, that's good, Mr. Ellison. And I said, well, sir, I've been bullshitting it. Uh, all all this time with the corner, I'm playing it by ear. Oh, that's good. Oh, he says, uh, in fact, that's pretty serious. He says, what, you and Ellison? I said, yes, sir. And he says, uh, did you know Mutu and Agorayi? I said, yes, sir. One of them is my father and the other is my uncle. He says, oh, yeah, they played, they, they were the band that played at his wedding. He said, let's see if we can sort something out. So, um, this, so he said, hmm. Uh, he says, I'll think about it. So anyway, the next minute he says, I think I've come to something that might be a grill for both of us. He said, see the lot there? And there's about 130 in our student lot in the section. He said, if you can teach that lot three Maori songs by the end of the term, you'll have passed. So, and I says, well, sir, when do I start? She said, right now. So I did, and I think learned about three songs in the rest of that period, in the rest of that period. And then the rest of the time, 
every second Friday, it was my Friday, it's my section, learning Maori songs, and I'd bring people. And that was, I think that was the beginning of Maori actually coming into those places like the College of Education, the university. Now, when I came back from Canada in 87, it was beautiful. There was a, there was a, there was a Maori person uh, running a Maori department at the university, and it's grown and grown and grown, and now they have their own big, big building, and it's really lovely, and they're building, and they're building a new um, block for Maori children called Tarangi Hiroa, and I feel so happy with all this happening, and everything, everything nowadays at the university and the polytech and most of the high school are, have really adopted Maori things, and, and most of them now have uh, Maori people on their staffs. If they haven't got any Maori person on their staff, then they they work with the local runanga and they supply people to go in and put them on the right track. So we're on the improvement here. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā me aroha nui, kia koutou, kutahuaho. I hope you're all having the best superstars in your workplaces. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustained and illuminating for you, Moe, who you are. A triumph of nature's perfect, unique and here. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us over the last more than two years, we've had to face some very new challenges and this has meant for all of us new parts of ourselves have had to come forward and things have changed in our life that we maybe thought we would have forever and it can feel at this time that we're in a transition phase things are still moving around us yet to settle into a routine and a pattern that we can understand and at times like this it's so important to be kind to ourselves and others as we deal with the impact of these changes and of course when we are waiting for a new way of being to arise we can feel in a state of limbo as though we are waiting at a train station trains are passing us but the right train hasn't come along yet for us to hop on and have a new adventure but it's so important that we hold this space for ourselves. We allow ourselves to understand that even in these times of what can be very frustrating, limbo and uncertainty, beneath the surface there is a process of change taking place and transformation taking place. As we let go of old ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling, we let go of old patterns, we let go of relationships that may no longer be viable and we honour all these things. We honour the roles that we've had in the past. We honour the learning that each experience has given us. And in this way it becomes clearer what we want now. That new train is going to really inspire us and take us to a wonderful new direction. So I really hope for you at this time, you're allowing yourself to rest in that knowing and in the peace of that knowing 
that those new ways are coming for you and it's okay to let go of the old and allow new things come in for you and of course this is happening on so many levels this is not only happening globally societally locally personally physically mentally emotionally spiritually it's also happening with our bodies and our ecosystems so of course we need to really look after ourselves in these times and be like our own caretaker our own beloved and really sit with ourselves and allow ourselves to feel loved and supported make sure we're taking care of our our physical well-being this is so important yeah? this is something I'm going to start focusing more on as time goes ahead and of course we can establish routines in our daily lives we can do so many things I believe in us <laughs> and I look forward to talking to you again soon thanks so much Kakitu. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with David Ellison. David, I love that you have been able to show where we've come from to where we are. And uh, I remember being at high school and wanting to learn te reo and there was no option for me then. And here we are now with my boy Jack, who's 12, in a bilingual class at Intermediate. And it's just so wonderful to see that progress. We're finally starting to see it, aren't we? Yes, it makes me feel feel that the future of New Zealand is great. And I know there's a new legislation happening and, and land claims being settled and Maori striving. Uh, I think we're in a wonderful world in the future. And I'm especially glad that I belong to Naitahu. Uh, oh, not just Naitahu, by the way. Um, my great-grandfather is uh, from Parihaka, and so I am Te Atiawa. And, and all the different tribes from up that end too. But my second name is Tohurangi, and it's named after Tohu uh, from Tairaki. But yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm so, I'm overboiling it to be so excited about someone, someone on the island there, um, also seeing the progress being made. And I think it's being very, very positive. Yes, for a while we were in the doldrums. The 60s wasn't very good, I must say. And we had too many people in the psychiatric hospitals and all that kind of thing. Uh, but now, uh, things have changed. And even when you look at the news, in the newspapers in the day, uh, there's very few in there now with Maori names. So that was that used to make a shudder. And it didn't help the, the ordinary population either when, when that was happening. But we're growing up. I think our race, Tanga Whenua and Mana Whenua, I think we have all got growing pain and I might be at the end in my age group might have been at the end of it all of, of the growing pains and younger people and I, I, admire, I admire everyone in university I have shining stars in my room now and uh, oh gosh it, I'm able to delegate things to those younger ones and of course that gives makes me freer to pursue new new things like working with the life matters the right the white feathers, the, the suicide groups, and all that kind of thing. In fact, I've got three new positions. One's with that leadership uh, re- leadership review on education and training. And another one is, I'm, I'm taking an interest in uh, 
in helping out the Central District Council and they're having a welcome committee and I'm advising them on Maori things there. And, uh, and then the night shelter, something I've been looking at for ages, but I've never had time to, to help out there. So I've got, I've got a meeting next week with the people in the night shelter in town to, just to see how, how we can help. Yes. How do we, you're talking about things that are looking more positive. How do, and, and the theme of this show is positive but not deluded. How do we move the conversation beyond a deficit model to a positive space, but also recognise that there are things that, that we need to deal with? We don't want to be do-lally, do everything is wonderful, but we do want to have a sort of a positive mindset to things. Well, I think part, a lot of it is in partnership with, with not just the government, but with local bodies uh, and other organisations such as Rotary, uh, and all that kind of thing, where uh, not very many Iwi or Maori have been invited to join those things, row trees and other. And if we can work, still work it on the inside, and they bring in more of our tangata whanua onto their groups or organisations or as advisors on the committee, which they're doing, and Dunedin is pretty good at that, uh, they've, got, they've just taken on two people to help deal with big problems that are over the three water and all that kind of thing. But there's a positivity there. At schools we've got we've got people we've got people trained now from the now it's university, trained in watching out for indigenous people and not indigenous Maori, but indigenous from overseas who've come to Zealand. I think up to fifteen or twenty years ago they've had a very hard time of it. And uh, but I noticed things have changed to the pos- positive with, with, for example, the Syrian refugees. It was my job four years ago for to go out to the airport and welcome all the Syrian refugees, and, and of course that was about uh, six, seven years ago. And those kids are growing up, and it's wow, they're going to be great New Zealanders. But most of them, including the multi-ethnic groups, are modelling on the Maori foundations of Kanongatanga, Aroha. So that's a, that's a positive sign for you. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last two years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? In which in which area? Well, changes that we've seen in society as as a response to the pandemic. Oh. So some of them might be the technical things, but also the you know the the fact that we're we're talking on on video conference, that sort of stuff that we've all gotten used to now. But are there more fundamental things that you've seen change? Uh, well, some things are positive, and we won't even mention the negative. The positive things are people understand why some of the wayward ones who are doing this protesting. The people who aren't protesting, most people understand why they are. Now, that would never happen five years ago. People are becoming more tolerant to each other. And, and if they step out to a different kind of operation that they don't like themselves, most people try to understand why those people are doing that to protest. Apart from that, uh, Maori them, people, Maori, local Maori people, uh, being treated as any other in most places, just as any other community person, the way it was before all of the puzzle of the treaty problems and everything. And uh, getting back to the times when we went to primary school, we didn't care whether they were Maori, Pākehā or Polkadotted, you see? And I think this is happening. Uh, the other thing is, getting right back to that education thing, I did my first year teaching 
in a in 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 the marriage in the marriage services on the east coast, see, in Fakaaniangi uh, on the Awatura Valley, just out of just out of uh, not far from uh, Tauroa, we stayed, and that was a, an experience. And I saw kids there. I didn't think I just didn't think people in New Zealand had to live like that. I didn't. It was an eye opener for me. It was terrible. Uh, and the only place they had comfort was at school. Yes, and uh, so I learned a lot that first year, not just education, but I learned a lot about how people operate. And I, I try to use that myself all the time. At the start of the pandemic, the Secretary of Education, um, what's her name, Iona Halstead, said something along the lines of that the pandemic doesn't create inequities, it just reveals them. Do you think we've learned anything from the pandemic about how we can actually improve those sorts of things? Well, I think the first, the only, the, only, the thing that has to improve, I think, is the is the communication between those that are making the rules, government, and those affecting us. In some cases, there's a lack of communication, so that people are more worried, not knowing exactly than they would have if they had been said, well, look, one or two people are going to have bad, bad um, results from getting the jabs. And uh, But they didn't, they could have said a lot earlier that um, if you've got that heart heart uh, complaint, which, which which some people have, and, and uh, I know my son does, my, 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 whatever, if you get what I'm called. But anyway, he wasn't told by his doctor not, so he's had his shots, and he was crooked. But then I think four people have died, and some people are blaming biolitis as, as, as the cause. But we don't know that yet, really. I think people are going to get a bit blasé if it continues too strict too long. I think people are realising that this last type of it is easily overcome and you don't get that very sick if you've had the injections and the, and the, and the booster. And even one of my caregivers is just back at work today and she's been off for seven days with it. And, and I quizzed her and she said, it didn't feel too much different, a bit tired at night and an itchy throat. And I said, there must be thousands of people I probably had it, may have had it because I've had runny nose, but I've put it down to hay fever and sore throat. I've had all the symptoms, but I didn't feel like it. So I did a rat thing in the morning in case, and it, I'm negative. But, so you never know what we've got now, whether, whether they've got it or not. Mm. But and, I think but it's... That's why I don't want people, I don't want people to say, well, uh, I didn't get it then, so I'm not going to get another jab if we have to get one. Or... or They'd be too blasé about it. I think we've got to remember deeply that, in fact, it affected the whole society in New Zealand and the world, the same as the polio epidemic did in the 40s. Yeah, and much like the polio epidemic, most people didn't get very sick, but some people got, got very sick. And you know, yeah. my, my daughter is, is one of those ones that's gotten very sick. So we do need, uh, to, we do need to remember that. Let's take the second of your music choices, well, nearly... We are the boys from Way Down Under. Why this one? And then I'll tell you which version of it we're playing. Military. Makes me think of my dad. It makes me think of my cousins. My uncles that were in the Mar- Not just in the Maori Battalion. So a lot of them are in the Mar- Maori Battalion. They're in the artillery and in, in, the, other, in the other infantry. It's just, I just love this song. I just love it. And three years ago, no, 2008, or six years of the veteran, I ran a big parade out of Karatani. And uh, 
issuing medals that people hadn't hadn't bothered to apply for. But the main reason is they said if they can't give them to us, uh, we shouldn't have to apply for them. And I think there's, there's still communities around the country getting them. But we did ours and we lined up. I managed to round up all the remaining vests from World War Two, and there are only a couple. And then I had people in J-Force and we all marched marched around the streets of Karatani singing Mary Battalion, We Are the Boys from Way Down Under. And it was magic when the crowd joined us. It's a military song and it makes the blood really good. So the version that we've got is Alan Gardner's accordion band, the Military Two-Step, which is a medley of We Are the Boys from Way Down Under and I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. Well, that's a funny thing. A lovely bunch of coconuts are damn good marches. conversation in the media at the moment about co-governance and from my perspective I think it's absolutely marvellous and about blimmin' time. What are your thoughts on that? Well the first before mentioning governance I think New Zealanders have to learn the difference between governance, shared governance and shared partnership. Now there's lots of iwi groups already are doing lots of uh, partnership and not too many 
with their governance. Uh, now, this is part of the problem we had in Dunedin when Dunedin City Council uh, uh, made decisions without us, without consult. Although we had two people to uh, run a funeral on their committee, they weren't invited to vote on whether we go for three waters or against three waters. And that caused a kerfuffle. So at the, at the moment, Naitahu is not with the Dunedin City Council with withdrawn all support. Over a simple issue, I thought, uh, that boils right back to I said my job back in, in the nineteen um in the nineteen eighties and nineties, late eighteen eighteen nineties was to show the flags on the, the Treaty of Waitangi and going around making sure they were fighting for there was a void when to Corkery shifted from that kind of operation to Maori business. And since I would say nineteen eighty since 1993, perhaps, there's been no concerted effort to keep going around these city councils, schools, universities, to make sure, to monitor them and to encourage them to utilise the Maori, Maori thing, you see. So we're looking at that right at the moment. So we've got to have a look and see who has to, who has to be responsible for ensuring a treaty. It used to be Tukuni Corporate. It's not anymore. Maybe there, be, there should be maybe there should be a new a new organisation just a few people who all they do is go around explaining the difference between governance and shared partnership. Our Marae, our room has lots of partners and so I suspect all, your, all, all our otakos the same. They've got otaki uh, uh, and, uh, and there's all kinds of things but no governance, no joint governance. So I've been thinking this for years and I might get shot down for this one. But I'm suggesting what we should be doing if we're really going to follow the treaty and and and, and, and shared shared governance that we reinstate as soon as we can the upper house along the lines the Waitangi of the treaty. In other words, it would be fifty percent of the upper house uh, run by the government and that would include all the immigrants that they want on their ship. And then Iwi would that'd be shared amongst all our Iwi. Just my dream. I'd love to see that happen. Let's do it. And I tell you what, there's a, I, I, I'm communicating quite a few from up north that are really thinking, really thinking. But the, the point is, you have to strike when the time is right. And it may not be quite ready yet, I think. The apple's not falling yet, but it's not far away, I don't think. Because it seems to me that most European, most Pākehā people, or non-Māori people, are with all this government and partnership. They see it's no threat to them. That's the biggest one of all. If we can continue, if we continue to show there's no threat in having Māori at the table, and of course we've come a long way since 1840, uh, but I think there's, I think, like you, the, the time will come and we will have enough the upper house again. Of course, we had Maoris then too, MLAs from the Legislative Assembly. My great-grandfather, uh, Tame Prata, was one. And and so were one of the Tyroras, a Prata. Yes, they were already in, in the upper house and yet and no one complained then. So I can't see if we handle it properly with good communication, open communication, positive transparency, I think we go off pretty good. We go off better than you flag a bit. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time so we're going to have to rattle through them. David, what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, in the last couple of years? Oh, 
being becoming uh, being awarded with a special award from Dunedin RSA as the Kamatua. Congratulations for that. We are writing a book about these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work, and you are most definitely in that team. You're most definitely doing good work, even though you're supposed to be retired. What's your superpower? I think I might have inherited this uh, from both sides. Tane Prata, my great-grandfather, he, he, was, he was a dynamo. My grandfather was a dynamo. and In fact, my, my grandfather uh, used, to, used to be the translator for all the royal tours from, from the end of the 1800s to 1926. And uh, I, I, I've been inherited the cane, the walking cane that was presented to him by Edward VIII when he was on his last trip as Prince of Wales here. And I've already had a yarn with, it sounds funny, but I already had a, a Coral Pullion when he came out in 2014 and I was lucky enough to be one of the people who uh, met him and, and that. And I, at that time I'd, I was I, I decided that this walking cane, you know how we like getting our stuff back from overseas, our taonga? But I thought, well, maybe it's time that we did a reversal. So I offered, I offered the cane back to him. And he said, yes, he would love to, but not today. He said, where do you think? And I said, well, I think perhaps next time you come down. And he said, and where do you think we should have it? I, think, I said to him, well, I think we should have it at my Mariah out of Pukaparati, where all my grandfather powers descended can be there when you're greeting it. But not only that, I said to him, you'll be able to visit the original Karatani Plunkett Hospital, which is Karatani, because Prince George has been made an honorary uh, Plunkett vacancy. So I thought that, be, oh, yes, I'd be interested in all that. So we're still waiting patiently, and uh, it'll happen. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Uh, well, if I see something wrong, I'll, I'll certainly stand up to fix it. Or if people are stressed, it's my whole life's work, really. Uh, and in that teaching, uh, I moved from ordinary teaching when I came out of the army and I went into special education. And I started the first school in New Zealand in a psychiatric hospital as in an adjustment school. And that's why I went to Canada to learn more about that kind of thing. And I got there and New Zealand was way ahead of it. So I went ordinary principal. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, gosh. For a while, well, my past experience of some days, I couldn't get out of bed. Well, I had I've been terrible. And I'm just so pretty thankful. So, whoops. I'm so thankful about waking up, coming out, and Dunedin weather's been such lovely weather just since we came down in September. I've just got to thank the lucky stars. And, so, and I say to them, who am I going to help today? Sort of thing. And so I go through. I go through my Facebook thing, which has brought me into the 21st century, and I do my Zooms on this, but I'm not very good. And I, I'm able to get to groups, ask if they need any help, how's this going, previous help, and that kind of thing. I, I just love, I just love being here, and I want to, I want to spend any time I have helping. My dad did that. when he came back from prisoner war camp. He was blown up in Greece, could hardly walk. But uh, after a few in the hospital, he was able to walk from Karatani to Cherry Farm Hospital, psychiatric hospital, which is about three or four miles away, twice a week, to play the piano there for them. I think it must have been catching. What challenge are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to challenge. The main challenge I have in the moment is with this uh, regional schools leadership group. And 
it's it's there's big challenges there, uh, which in it, and I'm the Maori one of the two Maori replicants, and uh, it's big. And but the challenge, you see, if I remember when I did it to Puni Kopi, because I did roughly the same thing uh, in Puni Kopi with with uh, the Dunedin City Council and all the heads of department, government departments, all formed a group. And when there was, um, and when the big freezer was and everything shut down in Oswego, and we formed what was called DEAG, Dunedin Employment Action Group, to find jobs, look at the welfare side of it, where we're going to be in the future, and that's the whole reason for this regional thing, as it changes what Polytech. So that's a challenge. I've never, I've never taught in a Polytech <laughs> or university either. Maybe one day. We've certainly got some interesting questions, not for now, but about what does what does a computing profession that honours the treaty look like, and then how do we develop programmes to actually deliver that? But we run out of time. We can't talk about that now. We'll have to talk about that some other time. Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Be thankful you're here. Look after your family. Look after your neighbour. Spread aroha. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mawira. That is very good advice indeed, David, and advice we should all be following. And um, I just want to say listening to you speak today has really made me reflect on how far we've come. And you've been part of that movement for change, Um, not just here, but also overseas in Canada, the influence that you've had here that that influence you've had there as well. So I I can't even begin to imagine how many lives you've touched in your life through your practice. So I feel really thankful for you and I'm really proud to be related to you as well. And I just feel so, you know, think about my little boy being able to um, be in a bilingual class here in Whakatane and it's um, you and your peers from your generation that enabled this change that we're living now. So I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done over the course of your life to make such goodness happen. Kia Thank you. Uh, I can't say <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very thank much you for very joining much. us. We're going to go out to a singer from Karatani. We're going out to Marcus Turner. Oh, he's a good... I know, I know, Marcus. In an ancient cauldron With fire and liver The sky split asunder With lightning and thunder In darkness and rain Screaming with pain the mother of all gave you birth Beneath the ground heat And above the sky wet An anguishing sound As you laid yourself down On the face of the land And caressed by her hand Your sides became smooth as you slept Otago Sleeping the slumber Of time Out of time By the harbour She lies Her spirit High overhead On the wind Where the albatross Flies 
Blowing bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons at three, and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani, and from Dunedin we've been joined by Te Epoko, Raka Tira, Rapa, Pukutaraki, David, Alice. Well, that was Boeing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Protected and pure, in pristine perfection here lay. Till the blow of an axe and the crackle of flame Shattered the morning and sounded the warning As woman and man came walking a land That would never again be the same Why talk I in legend remember they flickered and shone throughout Coco lived on deflower but never destroyed on the distant horizon the wind filled the sails over the waters, the sons and the daughters of church and the soil, to pray and to toil from far Caledonia came. In fire you were born, and with fire they despoiled your core. Rendered to cinders The birds of all fled The trees are all dead And everywhere stripped to the soil Waka 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 wa
At the end of the earth Where the sea meets the sky Born on the crest of the wind From the westward Drawn here to the land Where all else is banned The archangel albatross flies O Taurus circling Where the sea breaks Silently viewing The carnage and ruin Do you come to mourn Or announce her reborn Or what will she do If she wakes Otago Sleep in the slumber of time Out of time By the harbor she lies Her spirit High overhead on the wind Where the albatross flies It is It is Māori amai Tōna Māori This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.